tonight, I would like us to do something. We're going to start something tonight that we'll finish next Sunday night. And as you know, we went through eight weeks of experiencing God together. We talked about the seven realities of experiencing God. And I'd like to take this Sunday night and next Sunday night, we'll have a brief business session, but we'll, we'll be able to finish this, this very brief uh, consideration of what it means when we say that we're experiencing God as a church, when we're experiencing God as a church. And I bring this up because I think we forget, maybe we have never learned what church is. Uh, for me, it was a journey. Uh, I became a Christian, and it was probably, I'm, I'm being really honest, transparent, maybe 12 years until I really began to seriously and deeply think about what is church and what it means to experience God as a church. What's very popular right now among pastors and church leaders is the study of revitalization, church revitalization. And it's not a new idea, but it's the idea of how do you help a church that is among the majority of churches in the United States that are plateaued or dying, how do you revitalize that church? And unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, how you go about that, let me just say it this way, how you go about that depends completely on your notion of what a church is. If you think a church is just a franchise of a major corporation, then you're going to approach revitalization like the uh, kicking up the business a notch or two. You get a new CEO. If you don't like the old one, you with me so far? <laughs> That's probably one of the most popular ways to approach it. Um, you, uh, you begin to make purely business-oriented decisions. You use metrics that you can put your, your hands on, numbers that you can, things that you can count and you measure whether or not we're turning around, whether or not we're being revitalized based on that. You know, in the old days, our fathers used to simply talk about revival and spiritual awakening. We didn't talk about revitalization, this fairly new concept. Um, in the old days, when the leadership of a church recognized that that church was, was not alive as it should be, their typical response was to pray and fast. A totally different concept about what church is that drives both of those responses. And so I'd like us to think about that. Little little girl was watching her daddy repair a tractor with her mom sitting on the front porch. She was out working on the tractor trying to fix it. Little girl asked her mother, she says, Mom, what happens to really old tractors when they stop working? Mother said, someone sells them to your father. <laughs> and... Um, and what happens when churches stop working? When they start, stop being what God intended them to be? This is not uh, just a hypothetical situation. It's actually spoken of in the New Testament. Next week, we're going to look at the very first church in, uh, mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the first seven verses, the church at Ephesus. And it was a church that on the outside looked like it was working just fine, depending on what you measured. But the truth was, it was about to lose something very, very precious. And we're going to see that next week. But tonight, I just want to lay a foundation to help us think about what is church. 
I would say, first of all, that just as an observer, and I haven't been as long as alive as long as some of you, but I've been alive longer than some of, some of the rest of you, and it seems to me that divisions and disagreements are getting worse in churches. That the way we resolve those differences and disagreements has grown into something very ugly. And, um, and we're experiencing that, I can definitely say, as a denomination of Southern Baptists. I can't speak for every denomination, but I, I do talk to enough pastors and other groups um, to know that that's a problem there as well. And we have lost our sense of identity as a church when we treat one another in a way that doesn't reflect the presence of Jesus Christ. And when we handle a disagreement without love, and when we allow division to exist, then we have moved away, we have lost something of our identity of what it means to be a Christian who's a member of the body of Christ. And how we handle those disagreements, not only in church, but outside the church, in our culture, our society, seems to me to, to have changed. I can remember a time as a young adult watching politicians who deeply disagreed politically across the aisle in Congress, who would would speak vehemently against one another's positions and then afterwards would go out and have dinner together. That they understood that we are first people and that our arguments do not represent our worth or the sum total of our worth. And we're seeing, uh, we see a few examples of that in our culture, but most of the time we see a complete loss of civility and a total, complete inability to speak to someone as a human being and to disagree but yet maintain a fundamental commitment to them as a human to, to care for them, to treat them a certain way. That loss of civility becomes open hostility. Um, in our culture today, I don't just disagree with you, we just don't have a difference of opinion or a different point of view. My, my view is morally correct and yours is immoral. It's, uh, it's about morality now when we differ. And we assign a moral value to our views and our opinions. And, um, and it's growing worse all the time. Uh, we demonize our opponents instead of focusing on whatever problem we're dealing with. So churches are being affected by culture. Revitalization is an effort across many denominations, Southern Baptists included, that began, oh, probably within the last 10 years, seriously, uh, groups of people began studying and doing research to try to figure out how do churches turn around. Uh, the two most recent and the most thorough studies uh, were, were published as books. The most recent one was one called Comeback Churches, and they surveyed uh, churches all over the United States. Now, do you know that there are approximately 400,000 churches in the United States? That's a lot of churches, isn't it? You also know that the average church size is probably somewhere south of 50, definitely less than 100. Vast majority of churches. That's true of Southern Baptists in Arkansas. Out of 1,500 churches, 1,100 run 100 or less in attendance. And, um, and so when they studied churches that turned around and made the jump from less than 100 to over 100, out of 400,000 churches doing the best research that they could, they identified slightly over 300 churches that had done it. I want you to know that although they wrote a book about it and their principles are sound and encouraging, 
And the first thing on their list that they noticed about those churches was the atmosphere of prayer that that church was focused on. Number one was spiritual life in those churches. But then in spite of that, you need to understand that 300 divided by 400,000 is like .0075%. In other words, statistically, what is being measured is revitalization doesn't happen. You can write a book about the few that you find, but statistically it doesn't happen. A book that came out the year before that, in 2009, was a book called Breakout Churches. They surveyed only Southern Baptist churches, screened 50,000 Southern Baptist churches. They only found 13 churches that met the criteria for revitalization, churches that had broken out and had begun to grow again. 13 churches that met their criteria. Uh, Just before I left the state convention, this was not a popular thing, but pastors were asking. They were saying, give us some help on revitalizing the church. What can we do to turn around the church? Give us some help. Give us some counsel. And um, I got to be honest with you, when you're sitting in a group and someone speaks up, I won't tell you who it was, but speaks up and says revitalization statistically doesn't happen. Well, that doesn't make you very popular. But statistically, it doesn't happen. And you can go and you can, you can take a, a program and you can follow the steps. But it's based on an understanding of the church that is not biblical. And so you and I need to think in terms of biblical categories when we think about what is church. Or we're going to run off the rails every time. And so I want us to, to think about what it means to be part of a church. Now, uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands how many of you are members of Wynn Baptist Church tonight. Some of you maybe guests, some of you may be long-term part of the family, and you just have never joined. But I want you to think about what it means to be part of the church tonight, okay? And uh, these, are, these are basic truths about all of us sitting here tonight and those even that aren't here with us. Uh, this is the property of Wynn Baptist Church, but you know Wynn Baptist Church is what's sitting in the pews right now. You know that, right? We know that. So, What does it mean to be part of a church? Number one, when you are part of a church, number one, you are part of a group that Christ created. You're part of a group that Christ created. Sometimes we think of the church purely as a man-made institution, something that a group of people got together and said, let's start a church. Uh, I personally experience what happens when, when there's a misfire in a church plant. I've had successful church plants I've been involved in and have seen God work in a, in a great way, but I've also been part of those that didn't work. And, and what I discovered was that you can't just write up what we're going to be as a church, put it down on paper and say, we're going to go start a church. Because man doesn't start churches. Men don't do that. God is the one who creates a church. In Matthew Uh, Chapter 16, verse 18, when Jesus addressed Peter, who had just confessed him as Messiah, he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, your confession, I will build my church. Who's building it? Don Pusick? Deacons? Um, Sunday school teachers? Who builds a church? Jesus builds a church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so if I'm, if I'm in a situation as an individual church member and my church isn't being built and the gates of hell seem to be fine, <laughs> they're standing 
and they're not getting knocked down, and we're not seeing people come to Christ, and the, 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 the gates are just standing there. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and nothing's happening. Where do I need to turn? Where do I need to go? Just think about that a moment. If he said, I will build my church, and the church isn't being built, maybe something's broken. Maybe there's a relationship issue. And as we delve deeper into this, I think it'll be more clear. What I want you to see is that Jesus is the one who builds the church. He's the one that builds the church. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. Jesus saves, and Jesus builds his own church. So you're part of a group that Christ created. Tonight, if you're a Christian, you're part of this church. You are part of something that God did in 18-whatever-it-was, uh, 90 or somewhere in there, when Wind Baptist Church was founded, group of organizations organized, felt led of God to, to start a church here. Um, something God did. Something that God did. Number two, when you're part of a church, you have been placed there for a unique purpose. When you're part of a church, you've been placed there, you, for a unique purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, the Bible says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Now, sometimes we get the idea that when I join a church, it's because I like that church. Those people there, they like me. I like what they offer. I like what they do. I like their music. I like their style. And so I decide I choose that church. I'm going to join that church. And yet the scripture says that if you're part of the church, it, in any way that's real, you are part of that church because God placed you in that church. And he placed you in that church because you have a unique purpose to fulfill in that body of Christ. Now, probably one of the most common frustrations that I've heard for years, both as a pastor and as a, as a guy that was serving churches, is I would hear someone who would be frustrated with their church. And they would say something like, I see that we need to be doing X, Y, Z. And it's really important. I see it so clear to me that we need to be doing X, Y, Z. And, and, and it seems like that I can't get anybody else involved to help me do X, Y, Z. And because they don't get it and because I'm frustrated, I'm going to go to another church where they will support what I think is important, X, Y, Z. Now, reconsider that for just a moment in light of this scripture. If God puts you in that church to fulfill a unique purpose, is that true? Is that the truth? Did he put you in Wind Baptist Church to fulfill a unique purpose? Well, yes. Yes. I'm, God has set the members. Are you? Well, don't raise your hand. I said I wouldn't do that. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So it's not talking about where you're sitting tonight. It's talking about your placement in this body of Christ is not an accident. What does that mean? It means it's very possible that you may see a need for X, Y, Z that the rest of the body may not get. And your frustration level may, may not be an indication that it's time for you to move. Your frustration level may be that God wants to use you and you're going to need to 
lean on him, depend on him, follow his lead, follow his guidance so that God can use you to maybe bring about the, uh, the change so that that church then is engaged in X, Y, Z. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you have the perspective that you have, that you see the needs that you see. We're not here as consumers. We're here as members of the body of Christ. And you have a unique purpose to fulfill. Another scripture then that comes into play that I believe speaks to this issue is Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. This is one of the few places in the Bible where the word pastors uses a noun. And it's hyphenated. Even in the original language, it's hyphenated with the word teacher, pastor, teacher. Now, why am I here in Wynn, Arkansas? Why am I here? You ever wake up and ask yourself, why am I here in Wynn, Arkansas? Well, maybe you don't, but you ought to. It's a good question. Why, why am I here? And uh, why is Dustin here? Why is Todd here? Why is, why is Mike here? Why, why do we have these guys who feel called to be pastors? Why are they here? He tells us, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, you have a unique purpose. You've been placed in the body of Christ for a unique mission and assignment in this church. And my unique assignment is to come alongside you and equip you to do what God has called you to do. I fear that we have a mistaken idea that we have hired the pastors so that the ministry gets done. That is totally not scriptural. It may be part of a culture of a church. It is not biblical truth. You have not hired the pastors to do your ministry. The pastors exist to equip you to do your ministry. And when we're all functioning, all doing our part, then um, the body lives. The body is alive. So you have a unique purpose. Number three, when you're part of a church, you are responsible to Christ as the head of the body. And I, for me personally, this was a kind of epiphany. Uh, some years ago when I was studying what is church, and I was asking that question, what is church, what is church, what is church, what is church, and I understood it was a body. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the, it was an amazing eye-opening experience for me when I looked at the scripture and I saw that Christ is a head of the church. He is not like a head. He's not a symbolic head. He's not a figurehead. He is the head of the body. And that means everything that we do should come under his lordship. Every decision we make as a congregation comes under his lordship. When, when he, you can take all the steps, all the realities of experiencing God that we studied, and you can apply it to the church. God is at work all around us. He, um, he is pursuing us as a congregation. We'll talk more about this next week. He's pursuing us as a congregation that we might experience a love relationship with him. He wants us to join him in his work. He reveals that to us. He speaks to the church. And by the way, he speaks not just through the pastors. He speaks through the body as well. But he speaks to us about what it is that he wants us to do. And he reveals to us that thing. And when we understand what it is that he wants us to do, a church can experience a crisis of belief. 
Because we have to decide, are we going to obey him as a church? Or are we going to keep doing what we've always done? And we have to make adjustments before we can obey him. Adjustments are not easy. Adjustments are typically costly. I cannot adjust and make a bunch of adjustments and stay where I'm at. And typically obedience calls me to do something I haven't been doing before. Be something. Go do something that I haven't done before. And so, who drives all of that? Pastor? No. Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. And so, the scripture that I want you to see in relationship to that, Ephesians 4, I hope you can imagine this. Um, Some of you may need to dust off your imagination, but I want you to imagine the picture that's here, Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ So it's this picture of the pastors, teachers, equipping saints for ministry. They're growing not just in their ability to do ministry, but they're growing in their likeness to Jesus Christ. And in our growing up, where do we grow? Not, Not necessarily just that we can do more. We grow more in our connection to the head. We grow up into Christ who is the head. That word for equipping the saints a few verses earlier. Uh, is a word that describes the putting of something out of joint, like a broken bone, into proper alignment. And so if you want to think about what equipping really is, it's not just a training program, it's helping you come into a place where you can hear from Jesus yourself and receive direction in life from him as the head. Paul goes on and says, from whom the whole body... So he's the head, we're the body, from whom the home body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so here's this picture of Jesus Christ as the head, and the head gives direction in life to the body. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that God not only speaks to me and gives me direction for what I'm to do with my life and with my time and with my day and my week, but as the head of the church, he does the very same thing for each member of the body. He gives direction, gives guidance. Whatever he calls you to do, he enables you to do. He gives you the power to do it. And we grow up into the head. Now, we think back to what happens when a church is formed. Jesus said, I will build my church. If my body, my physical body, stops listening to my head, what is that going to look like? I can tell you right now, it won't be pretty. You think it's not pretty now. It's really not pretty then. You would rush me to the ER. You would say there's a problem. Because his body's not responding to his head. His head's giving direction and, and saying, hand move, the hand doesn't move. Uh, his head wants to go do something and the body doesn't do it, doesn't even respond, doesn't even hear the, the direction from the head. And then we begin to understand how it's possible for a group of Christians to come together and the church not be alive. Because we are unhealthy, we are sick if we're not receiving direction from Jesus, just like a physical body. But when he speaks, it's a beautiful thing. 
that, that in my role as an equipper, that my desire, my goal is to help each individual move to a place where he and she, he or she hears Jesus, receives direction from Jesus. And then what happens is, is unspeakably wonderful because then you have God speaking to any individual he wants, any time he wants. And that individual says, yes, Lord, and goes and moves and acts and becomes his hands and his feet in that moment. Imagine what kind of ministry happens in that environment. How many phone calls are made at just the right time? How many people show up on somebody's doorstep at just the right time? How many people who are saying, as I pray often, help me, Jesus, when I don't know what to say to somebody and I don't know how to encourage them and I don't know what the best thing is to say, and then suddenly he brings something to mind, and I know it's him from years of just experience knowing when he brings something to mind, and I say something, and it is the right thing, only multiplied by 200, 300, 400 people, all going about doing what Jesus says when he says to do it, saying what he once said, acting at his direction. Jesus is the head. And you are uniquely related to him. There's nothing else like it on the planet. I mean, there's Fortune 500 companies. There's nothing functioning like the church when Jesus Christ is the head of the body. So you're responsible to him. You're not responsible to me. I'm not the king of Wind Baptist Church. Glory, hallelujah. I'm not. I wouldn't want to be in charge of this. He's the head. He's the head. And he gives direction in life to body. Number four, when you're part of a church, you are spiritually linked to every other Christian. By the way, not just in Wynn Baptist Church, but to that family that just lost their six-year-old, to that Christian being persecuted in Indonesia tonight, to that pastor, mission pastor somewhere in North America who is crying out for encouragement, they're discouraged, they're depressed, they're ready to quit, they're ready to give up, when you are right now, you are intimately and directly and organically linked to every other Christian on the planet. You say, Pastor, where does that come from? 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Well, we understand that, okay? That's a good starting point. Several, uh, a few years ago, the first summer that I was here, I preached a series of messages on the one another commands of scriptures, reciprocal living. How many of y'all remember that? Oh, glory, that's good. I was afraid nobody would raise their hand. Um, but um, but we, we talked about the one another commands in scripture. One of my favorites, in fact, the foundational scripture that, that if you did not know any of the other one another commands in the scripture, if you just knew this passage, you could figure out the rest of them. It's found in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, for as we have many members in one body, he's talking about your body, physical body, and my physical body. He's drawing a comparison. I have many members. I have fingers, toes, hands, organs that you don't see, all kinds of stuff. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, the church, being many, are one body in Christ, now listen to this phrase, and individually members of one another. That means whatever I do to Jeff, 
because I'm a member of Jeff, and Jeff's a member of me, whatever I do to Jeff, I do to myself. Whatever Scott does to David in the back, Scott's doing to himself because Scott is a member of David and David's a member of Scott. You're not just a member of Wind Baptist Church. You're a member of every member of Wind Baptist Church. Now think about that, the implications of that. If, if you truly are an extension of me and we are one in Christ, that if I didn't have all the other one another commands in Scripture, I could figure it out when it says don't complain about one another. When it says to forgive one another, as God in Christ forgave you, that's a no-brainer. You bet you I want to forgive you because I want to forgive myself. I want to be forgiven. Show hospitality to one another. No-brainer. Uh, to be kind to one another. Uh, to, be, to, to love one another. is to simply do to you, in reality, something that I would be doing to myself. And, uh, and I could figure it out. And so the very first thing that should govern the way I speak to you, the way you speak to me, the way we treat one another, the very first thing that should govern that is the reality that you are me. You are part of me. You are my family. You are my brother. You are my sister. And that should guide and dictate everything else that I do and say after that point. That's why the most important thing you can know about anybody that you meet is whether or not they know Jesus. Because the moment you know they, they know Jesus, it dictates everything else you do and say in relationship to them from then on. Nothing else like it on the planet. We are a body. We are an organism. We are not an organization only. There are, or, there are organizational things we do, Sure. Got to keep the lights on, got to get it clean, we got to do that kind of stuff, organizational things, but we are, the truth of Scripture is that we are an organism. Now, we may be a sick one or a healthy one, but we are still an organism. We are His body. He is the head, and we need one another. And then finally, when you're a part of a church, number five, you are on mission to carry out God's purposes. And I say that because we are all on the same mission. And we're going to delve more deeply into those purposes next week. We're going to look at, at three purposes for every church on the planet that are real clear in Scripture. But tonight, I would just call attention to Mark 16, 15. It's one of the great commission statements. You thought there was only one. There's, there's several in the Scripture. This one happens to be one of my favorites. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's God's purpose for us as a church, for you as a member of the church. Go out and preach the gospel to every creature. And, um, and that helps us understand why do we do door hangers? Good grief. Why do we try to put door hangers on every doorknob of every home in Winter, Arkansas? Why do we do that? Because I believe that this is his plan for Wind Baptist Church. This is his plan. I don't know what else we, we, would, we could possibly plan that would exceed the importance of this one. In fact, I used to say to churches when I traveled that if we're not planning to take the gospel to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in the place where we live, that we're not planning obedience at that moment, we're planning disobedience. 
This is his heart. This is his purpose. And so this door hanger thing is just one way. We don't have a, a better way beyond your interactions that God brings people across your path on a regular basis, day in and day out, week by week. Those, those are things that God is controlling. But as a church, what can we do? Well, one thing we came up with when I first came is we'll just put a door hanger on every door in Wynn, Arkansas and tell them God loves them. Just give them a little glimpse of the gospel, the good news. And so when we go out and do we do those door hangers, what are we doing? Well, we're trying to do something related to this purpose that God has, that he really does want every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in Wynn, Arkansas to know about Jesus. And Forest City, and Cross County, St. Francis County, and Northeast Arkansas, and all the Delta, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet, he wants them to hear about Jesus. And so the church, when we begin to think about the church biblically, it's really hard to just kind of do church the same old way, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it stirs my heart. I just want to go out and hug somebody. You feel that way right now? I, I hope you do. I don't, you know. They're family. They're part of you. You don't have to agree with every, everything that guy says or that gal says in the church. You have to love them. You don't really have to, to think they're good-looking or special or, or wonderful. You just have to love them. I'd like us to take some time to respond to what the Lord is saying to us as a church. Like I said, this is just part one. As we think about a church experiencing God, um, we'll look at this in more depth next Sunday night. But uh, if your, your vision of the church has shifted a little bit tonight, maybe a little bit more towards the way God sees the church, then I would say right now we have every reason to celebrate and rejoice in just a moment when Jeff and the team comes up here and leads us in worship. Goodness, don't we have a lot to thank the Lord for? To thank Him for creating the church and putting us in it. We have a lot to be thankful for. But you know there's a lot of folks out there, I believe with all my heart, that he wants to bring into the body of Christ. Not necessarily into this room, but into the body of Christ. And as we sing tonight, we can say, Lord, sign me up. I want to be that, that part of the body that is, I want to be the healthy member of the body. I want to be the one that you can speak to anytime, any, any part of my day. You can interrupt me, Lord. You can, you can stop me what I'm doing. You can put people on my heart. You can put people in my mind. I want to be that guy. And as we sing tonight, you may not be able to sing. You may just need to bow your head there in the pew and just say, oh, God, I want to be directly connected to the head. Maybe as, as we get ready to worship the Lord and sing, you realize that, that maybe you haven't thought of another member of the body like, like they're part of you. Maybe you rejected who they were. You rejected their point of view. You rejected them as part of the body of Christ but they're still your brother, still your sister. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, if you were to die this evening, you really don't know whether you would go to meet him in heaven or spend eternity in the darkness away from him, separated from him. You really don't know. 
I want to invite you tonight to come speak to one of the pastors. Speak to me. Don't leave that hanging out there. It would be our pleasure, our delight, our joy to share scripture with you about how Jesus died for you on the cross. He loved you so much that he gave his life so that you could be set free from sin and its penalty and the way it's eating up your life right now. He wants to set you free. And so I invite you to come. When we stand and sing in a public way, I think that's really important to claim Christ publicly. You don't want to be ashamed of him. And that's a way of turning your back on everything else. And I would invite you, whether you're in the balcony or downstairs, to just come. Take one of these pastors by the hand and say, I want to trust Jesus tonight. I want to be saved. And, um, and they'll guide you. They'll pray with you.